you gotta be patient, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, that's all I gotta say, right? Like, if this was a get rich quick scheme, everybody would be doing it, you probably wouldn't be in this type of world, right? You probably wouldn't want to be investing in this type of stuff. But that said, it doesn't take that that long to go from zero to half a million dollars net worth. I mean, if you're investing in the right stuff, that's what I would say, you know, it, real estate is such a powerful tool, right? You can invest in the wrong stuff in the wrong areas and you can still do pretty well. Mm-hmm. So I would say kind of learn in the beginning how to do it right. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to another wonderful, excellent episode of Weiss Advice. I'm your host as always, Yona Weiss. And why is it wonderful and excellent and awesome? Not because of me, because of the amazing guests that we have, like we have every single episode. And today, I'm excited to be joined by Lane Kawaoka, all the way from Hawaii. I think you're one of the furthest out guests that we've had, but it's uh, it's great to great to finally have you on the show, Lane. What's going on? Yeah, thanks for having me. Aloha, everybody. Aloha to you. He's the founder of Simple Passive Cash Flow. So check him out wherever you uh, wherever you look for for anything anywhere, which is social media, unless it's today. Because today, while we're recording this, all of social media in the whole world is down, and maybe it's the apocalypse. Who knows? But right now. We're just hanging out. If uh, if it's up and back and running uh, by the time you listen to this episode, check out Lane. He's a cool guy, especially on bigger pockets. You always, I find you always have a lot of really insightful stuff on bigger pockets to say. And uh, you know, some people will just give like a one line response to something, and sometimes you'll just like you'll just like hit people with like <laughs> with the phone book, you know, <laughs> like encyclopedia. <laughs> well, it's the same questions all the time, over and over again, right on that <laughs> website. Goodness gracious. <laughs> it is, right? I mean, you just like, here it is. This is what you need to know. <laughs> yeah, it, it is very simple, right? For high net worth, high pay professionals, investing. It really isn't. I mean, there's not too many ways to do this. And there's only one way, in my opinion, to do it. And that's my way. Just kidding. Let's just let's <laughs> roll with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's your way? The only way is, is lanes way or the highway. So lo- well, we want to get in your lane, Lane. What's uh, What's your way? Let's just jump right into it. Yeah. I mean, it depends where you are, right? I mean, I, I, I kind of think in terms of paradigm. So, you know, if you're a broke guy making under 50 grand a year, net worth under zero, right? You got to go learn how to save your money. I, I was lucky enough to, you know, grow up in a very frugal family, you know, a lot of that immigrant attitude and mindset, buying for value, working hard. Um, so I kind of got born into a mindset where, you know, when I started my engineering job, you know, just save thirty, fifty thousand dollars a year, bought some rental properties. And that's kind of the second stage, right? That's where people get a lot of really confused. They're like, Susie Orman, Dave Rams, you're telling me one different thing than y'all talking about buying rentals, going into debt, doing so. And, you know, that's kind of where I started in my early twenties, just buying rental properties. But as I became more of an accredited investor, um, started to realize that the wealthy do things very differently than the Susie Orman, Dave Ramsey's, and very differently than what you find on the, uh, you know, the, the, the guys flipping houses, wholesaling houses, or just buying single family homes. So you found a different way. And your way is really, I mean, it's the way, like you said, it's, it's not about just getting into the real estate game 
for the sake of getting into it and buying properties and getting some, you know, getting some cash flow, maybe getting some uh, equity in the properties, et cetera. But, you know, appreciation is not really what it's all about, right? It, it, there's a lot more to it. And I think like, like the name of your company, right? Simple passive cash flow. I think that says it all, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, I think in the beginning, you're exactly right. It's about getting into rentals, you're making money with mortgage pay down, appreciation, tax benefits, and, you know, all the, I mean, all the intangibles, right, that go along with using good debt and hedging for inflation. But I think once you get your net worth to about a half a million, million dollars, the game kind of pivots to not really so much investing. I mean, you're still investing in good things that are backed by hard assets at cash flow, but then the tax, investing for more for tax advantage things. Um, And then, you know, infinite banking, tactics like that, that the wealthy will use um, that for many, it's very counterintuitive. I mean, using whole life insurance, you know, Dave Ramsey, you know, Google will totally just flame on it all day long. Mm-hmm. Um, but the wealthy do things a little bit differently. Um, maybe we can kind of talk about some of those things yeah. today. But yeah, I mean, I mean, some of those things are, are really important. I think it's important that you say there. There is a, it's a, like you said, it's a paradigm. Each person in their paradigm, what's going to work best for them may not be what's going to work best for everyone. So I think, like you're saying, like Dave Ramsey is talking to the people that are in kind of that lower bracket, people that need to get out of debt and uh, you know student loan debt and all that kind of stuff. And he's not, ta- you know, he's not talking about the power of, of leverage and real estate, and he's also not talking about some of these, you know, strategies where you can make money that is uh, either tax deferred or or tax free in many cases, depending on how you're doing it. So, yeah, let's talk about a couple of those. Um, I know it's really a passion of yours, so please share share a couple of those strategies that you've found. Yeah, I mean, I guess the f- the first one, I mean, investing in retirement plans. I'm not a big fan of that. You know, if your if your CPA is telling you to invest in a four hundred one k Roth IRA to shelter money from taxes, I think you need a new CPA because that's kind of the traditional way of doing it. Where really all you're doing is kicking the can down the road. I mean, the the four hundred one k pre post tax kind of retirement plan is to me the one of the biggest shams out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're you're essentially you got to pay taxes on that stuff at some point. I personally would rather pay taxes on that today. Well, I'm in the lower tax bracket tape because I late make less money today than in the future. Um, but I guess traditionally for most people, they're going to retire from their day jobs, not work anymore, and then their income's going to go way down. So that would make sense for most people. But if you're listening to this podcast, I mean you're probably on this, you know, this top five, top one percent of people out there that are buying assets that are probably going to be making more money in the future, therefore being in a higher tax bracket. And therefore, you want to be paying your taxes on it today. Um, second point, I mean, look where the country is going with all the government entitlement programs. I mean, we're probably going to have higher taxes in the future. But most importantly, the game changer is like when you're investing in real estate, you're, you're making your money tax-free anyway because you're getting all these losses from the investments. Most cases, yeah. Can, right. I mean, if, and if, especially with the stuff that you guys do, right? The cost sags, you pull out all this passive activity losses. You may or may not use it all in one year it can say suspended or if some of my clients um what they'll do is they'll implement real estate professional status strategy and then they will go and lower their ordinary income so you know it's very common that a doctor will make 600 grand a year if they lower it down to 400 you know they just saved 100 grand of taxes right there you know with the two hundred thousand dollar delta and that is a much better than uh you know investing in a retirement plan um right plus i mean in retirement plans 
the big problem I have there is just you're investing in retail type of investments where you're getting killed by all these hidden fees and sure. not that strong. Yeah, that's I mean that's a really important point about the about the retirement plans. People don't really realize that you know the four percent return that you think you may be getting on it. If after you take out all the fees and everything like that, it's it's literally like a one and a half percent like return. And even that inflation is three percent or whatever. So you're actually losing money by investing in the retirement plan. So even if it wasn't for like, you know, the stuff that you guys do with the cost segs and the passive activity losses, being able to play, you know, at that point you get you have different levers to pull, right? Exactly. So even if it weren't for that, it still makes so much sense just to pull the plug on that stuff. But I mean, exactly. with the yeah. cost seg and bonus depreciation, it completely makes it a no-brainer. Sure. I mean, again, like you're saying, in the current year, you can have these losses. Whatever money you are making is tax-free. You can reinvest that. I mean, that's where compound interest comes into play. Compound interest is not happening in your retirement plan. Yeah. And then so like retirement plans is one thing. I mean, I I was actually talking to a contact in the family office world and they're asking me like, you know, what is all these retirement plans y'all are doing? I'm like, I don't know, man. Like you guys don't know about this stuff. It's like, yeah, man, wealthy people don't do that garbage. Right? That's all the stuff to usher people into like all the crappy 401k type of options. And to me, like those retirement plans, what they're used for are non-tax advantage types of investments not real estate, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're doing a crypto, do it out of that. If you're doing private money lending where it's ordinary income, not passive income, do it out of that. Life settlement investing, do it out of that. But I mean, for the most part, my portfolio is majority real estate. So um, and that's kind of, I stay in my lane with that type of stuff. But, you know, I mean, that's, that's where an investor needs to kind of understand this stuff themselves and not rely on their CPA. Yeah. So at what point did you kind of, realize or get that light bulb that you uh switch from single families into what you're doing now multifamily in which case you know the group that you're a part of have have invested in over you know thousands of units already right hundreds of millions of dollars in assets under management you guys are you know really making making deals constantly right deal i think now recently we, we were speaking about a a 50 60 million dollar deal that you guys are taking down yeah i mean so i bought my first rental 2009 i got up to 11 rentals in 2015. So six, seven years later, um, took me to get my net worth to over half a million. At that point, I started to realize that single family homes was not the, the ticket to the big dance up in the sky. With 11 rentals at a few hundred dollars a piece, I had maybe uh, I don't know, $3,000 of passive income a month, which is great and everything for a you know, 20-year-old kid. But you know, I don't know what American family can survive off that. So, you know, you're going to need to make $10,000. Most of my, that's what most of my clients kind of talk about that, yeah. that $10,000 a month passive cash flow level. But to do that, you're going to need 30 rentals. And with 11 rentals, I mean, I had an eviction or two every year, some kind of big catastrophe that happened every quarter. Mm-hmm. I mean, multiply that exception rate by three. And you quickly realize that only the boneheads want to own double digits single family home rentals. But you know, I mean, I'll just stop right there and say, hey, if you're a young kid under half a million dollars net worth, you know, start with the single family home stuff, get your net worth, get unbroke first. I mean, look at my past. It took me so long to get past that level. And I learned things. And, and you know, quite frankly, if somebody is willing to take you into their syndication as a lower net worth, not a credit investor, they've got to be desperate. You probably don't want to invest with them, period. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, that's, 
That's a that's a, a different perspective. I mean, there's probably you're probably right, but at a certain point, someone has to get in. The, you have to get in the game somehow, right? So whether it's trying to just add value to a syndicator by you know whatever being an intern or something like that, I don't know, or or buying a you know a small path, you know income property, whatever it is. If you can get in the game, whatever. It is. I mean, a lot of people do the you know uh, FHA loan and, and get a a low money down. The house hacking, these are all great strategies for someone who's young, for someone who doesn't necessarily have a family and they have a, a very low network like you, like, like you mentioned. But that's probably not a lot of people that are listening to this, this show. So, I mean, if you're already at that point where you're a high net worth individual or at least an accredited investor, what's the, you know, and maybe you have a W-2 job. I mean, you had a W-2 job that you hated basically, right? And, uh, and got out of it, but it took you a while to get to that point, right? How do you, what would you say to someone who's listening to this is like, okay, well, what's the, what's the fast road? What's the fast lane to get well, to Well, trick, man. It's like, you gotta be patient, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, that's all I gotta say, right? Like if this is a get rich quick scheme, everybody would be doing it. And you probably wouldn't be in this type of world, right? You probably wouldn't want to be investing in this type of stuff. But that said, it doesn't take that, that long to go from zero to half a million dollars net worth. I mean, if you're investing in the right stuff, that's what I would say. You know, real estate is such a powerful tool, right? You can invest in the wrong stuff in the wrong areas and still do pretty well. Mm -hmm. So I would say kind of learn in the beginning how to do it right. If a guy, I mean, most of my clients make six figures, you know, their net worth is, you know, halfway decent. They they may not be multimillionaires, but, you know, they're working professionals and their highest and best use is at their day job. But if I'm kind of talking to somebody like my younger self, in my early twenties, you know, I mean, I had a still good paid, good, you know, low six figure salary. I mean, I would just tell people just to save your money and go buy a handful of rentals first, right? You don't got to buy, don't do it like me, like, and buy 11 rentals, but maybe buy one, two, maybe three, and then take it from there. Right. That, uh, to me, I feel like that that is a prerequisite to anything else after that. Mm, interesting. So you wouldn't say just to like get into some sort of a passive investment or try to find some partners and, you know, get into bigger deals at first. I mean, if you're a passive investor, you're going to get passive investor returns, right? right. I mean, if you're especially, if you're saying that this person is a lower net worth younger person or just lower net worth, you know, newer financially person, um, you got to you got to like get you got to get kind of get trade some sweat equity in there, right? Mm-hmm. And you're not going to get it on the LP side. You've got to be doing your own deals, right? Um, but that said, do you want to get out there and you want to go and strike out and learn on your first twenty unit, fifty unit, two hundred unit? To me, I don't see. I think that's a little irresponsible. I, I know everybody says and, and sees those success stories, right. but to me, that's a self-selecting bias. I And I, I see people come all day through this, the turnstiles of this multifamily business. And I see the ones that run out there and run through the brick walls, just like the one behind you. And you know what? Damn it. Like one in a thousand makes it. I don't know how the hell they run through a brick wall, but most people they just fizzle out and you know what's what I don't want to see a lot of people doing is getting in over their heads when they, they didn't have the basic stuff of you know that they could have learned through a turnkey rental, you know? Yeah, that's true. I, I mean I guess I guess my uh my problem with that is not everyone is built to be a landlord, right? That doesn't mean you can't be in the real estate game. I mean, there are plenty of things to do you can learn, but not everyone you know wants to be uh that kind of because again, yeah. you mentioned it like passive income, but it's not as owning a single family rental is not passive, right? I mean, sure, it's a lot less passive than working a full time job, 
uh, or sorry, excuse me, more passive, but it's still, there's still work involved, right? You still got to deal with tenants. You still yeah. got to deal with the uh, problems that come up and arise. Yeah. Well, well, help me understand here. I mean, if you're saying that this person doesn't want to be a landlord, well, they shouldn't be a general partner of a 50, a hundred unit. Right? Why not? I mean, I guess they could do that, but I'm not giving that guy any cent of my money. You know, <laughs> I'm going to be more, I'm just pretty discriminatory with my funds, personal funds. Um, I mean, I'm sure they could do that, but especially when you're working with other people's money, I mean, don't you want to go test it out on your own self? I mean, I that's mean, just, Yes and no. I mean, I see like larger multifamily deals uh, to be more like a business as opposed to being a landlord. So I think that's where the distinction I'm trying to I'm trying to make is that I don't necessarily want to deal with with tenants, right? But I may be very good at raising capital, or may be very good at underwriting deals. Uh, for and from a business side, I may be very good at bi- running a business, but I don't necessarily. I'm going to be the sole person who's going to be in charge of uh, dealing with the tenants, especially if I have a property management company, et cetera. So that's kind of the distinction I, w- I was making. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was never one for, you know, being your own landlord, right? I was always getting property managers. So that that's where I'm coming from. I hear that. I mean, so managing the manager where it's a construction or a big commercial property, commercial property manager, or just your rinky-dink residential property manager. I think there's lessons can be learned from doing it with the residential property manager first. Gotcha. Um, but, but you're right. I mean, as far as being a landlord, that sucks. I mean, you don't <laughs> want to be like, I don't know why anybody wants to be a property manager, right? But I still think that people should at least start off and get one single family home and be the asset manager, managing the manager before they go do bigger stuff. I hear that. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely a lot of lessons to learn from doing something like that. Yeah. But you're, I, I, I would agree with that, that you don't want to be, I mean, I don't know how to do, I don't know how to clean toilets. I don't know how to <laughs> fix stuff. I, I honestly don't even know how to do an eviction. I know the exactly. steps. Right. I know, I know how to like play stump the chump and manage my manager to know, Oh, are you going to do that 30 day thing? Oh, it's not 30 days. It's 25 days here. So sue me. Right. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't know, but I look, I'm the boss. And I'm, whatever you say it is, I'm going to look it up and trust, but verify, but keep you accountable for it. Right. right. And that's the role of the asset manager. That's kind of those skills that you need to start to develop. Yeah, no, that's, that's totally true. And the eviction process is just something like, I don't know why anyone want to get involved with that. I mean, it's just, it sounds crazy. My parents own a, a, a number of single families in Las Vegas and they're, uh, they had this past year with code and everything, like people weren't paying rent and they had literally one one property that just like they stopped paying rent. And then it turned out to be like the, they, they tried to do an eviction and it took forever. It took, finally they got the person out, but it took like a year and they literally made no money from that. So there was, that's, that's the type of real estate that I'm not interested in, right? On a, it's much less likely when you're dealing with larger, with doing commercial properties. But again, like you said, it's much harder to get into unless you have some experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I would also say like, that's that, it's very common from my clients, like the parents own rental real estate and did it the same way. Right. I mean, I don't know what your experience was, but you see how your parents do it and you're kind of like, man, that sucks. I don't want, I don't want to do any kind of real estate. Right. Cause and then, and then now the kids are coming back to me and they're more adult these days. And they're like, you know what? I rebelled against my parents because the stuff that they did was ridiculous. They would fix all the stuff themselves. They interact with the tenants. And then they said, well, you know, I rebelled against them and I didn't want to do a swap real estate, but you know what? They get to rock. They, they retired and right. I want to do it too, but I just need to do it the more simple passive way. 
Yeah. Do it more sophisticated way. I mean, there's better ways of doing everything. So I think, I think it's just about learning and it's about figuring out what you, what you're good at and what you like to do. And obviously utilizing your time, which is your best asset out there. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you can give me one more before we jump to the final four. I'd love to hear uh, at least one more uh, tip. You know, you mentioned a few different methods that the wealthy use that, um, that others don't. Yeah. I mean, I'll give you a couple quick ones. I mean, buying a house to live in. I mean, I still rent. I I feel like my money is better spent to investments and earnest money and stuff like that. Um, I could probably buy a house, but I don't know. I just do it to inspire the young kids to not make the worst financial decision of their life. That said, for most people who, you know, spend too much, they are credit card debt. uh, Buying a house might be a good idea for them because it becomes a forced piggy bank, right? But again, the people listening here typically on the upward trend, and I think most of you guys should kind of you know, do the math yourself, right? The math to tell you what to do. And I'll tell you to go invest your money and use uh, buy other rental properties instead. Uh, but the other tip is, you know, like infinite banking. I mean, how else do I get all this money for earnest money or down payments or, you know, deals come up very infrequently. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're super busy. Sometimes there's a little bit of a dry spell. Um, I mean, as a as an operator, I got to kind of smooth out my liquidity up and down. So I use my infinite banking. So it's basically whole life overfunded insurance. And if you go on Google, everybody will say, well, it's a scam, right? Well, it can be configured different ways. Um, one of the big ways to kind of talk about it is like, well, how much do you put towards life insurance component? And how much do you put to the MEC component? Mm-hmm. What you want to be doing is like making the life insurance the very least as possible, which is very counterintuitive that everybody does it. Um, because what all you're trying to do is just get the bare minimum there so you don't get taxed. So it kind of falls under the life insurance, quote unquote, so you don't get taxed on it. And then you also that, that way you can overfund it the most. And that's where you're going to bolster up that cash value to be able to take loans from it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know all the details of it. Look, I don't need to, right? I find the right professionals who do this stuff for right. me. Um, but that's, I, I'm an expert on how to use it, right? Like, I don't know. I have TVs. I don't know how they, they work, but I have these remotes and it does this <laughs> and I watch it. I watch like this. Same thing about my infinite banking. I don't entirely how, know how the thing works. I just know that I'm going to go, it's a commodity and I'm going to go to the person that has the least amount of commissions and I'm going to use it to, as a tool to my investing strategy, which is, you know, when I find a deal I want to invest in, I deploy and then I save up more money and then re and, and increase that cash value, kind of like a battery, right? Or like a, like a liquidity dry powder source hmm. is how you kind of use it. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, we haven't had anyone really talk in detail about the infinite banking yet on, on the show, but I do have uh, a couple of people that have been wanting to reach out to. So maybe we'll get someone on that uh, to go in a little more detail because it's, it's a great, it's a topic that does has surrounded by a lot of confusion. And like you said, if you Google it, you will find uh, a lot of bad reviews and ratings surrounding it. But, it, but at the same time, this is one of those things that the wealthy are using. Uh, yeah, one of those tools yeah. to, to really and, cr- and there's kind of two ways you can use it. Like a lot of my passive investors, what they do is they'll, you know, they might put in 50, hundred grand every year for like six, seven years. And then that, you know, after three or four years, they've got quarter million, half a million dollars of money in there that they can dip out of what they'll typically do. A passive investor, you know, is what they'll, they'll pretty much take all that money as a loan from themselves. So think of it like a HELOC. 
Mm-hmm. They take it alone from themselves and then they go into deals with it and make a much higher yield. Um, so for some of the more operators, such as myself, right? Like we're using our money for earnest money, you know, repairs, or maybe a deal doesn't go as well. We need to put in, I, I've had in the past had to put in several hundred thousand dollars into a deal to kind of plug up a hole before to give us a little time to get out of it for the airplane mm-hmm. to kind of pop back up. And that's what I always kind of keep dry powder in my infinite banking, unlike most of my past investors who just drain it all out. You know, I always want to have that dry powder in there. It's not a good use of funds, but I need that liquidity source just in case of an emergency. Yeah, absolutely. It's much better than to, you know, request a capital call from your investors, which is never a good, that is not a good feeling. Not an option. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, uh, Lane, let's transition now. These are the final four or four questions I ask all my guests. So first question for you is going to be, what's the worst job that you ever had? Um, when I was like 13 or 14, I picked pineapples for a summer in Maui. I mean, that job sucked. I got paid like $7.50 an hour and worked my ass off. I think one day I cried because it was so hard because I couldn't get to the damn pineapples and like the machine drove me for 50 feet. Uh, but yeah, after that, I mean, I made like... $47 a day or something like that. I mean, every job's been easy after that one. That one was horrible. Yeah. You, you learn young, like what, what not to do, right? Yeah. I mean, some people trade their time for money and other people don't. Right. That is definitely trading your time and your sweat equity. And your sweat. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. A lot of sweat climbing trees. What were you doing there? <laughs> yeah. a, that's not a lot, not a lot of fun, but listen, people got to eat pineapples. So someone's got to do it. I guess right? so. I guess so. But apparently we don't pick pineapples in Hawaii anymore. We send that stuff off to Mexico or Guatemala or wherever. It ain't right. here anymore. It's too expensive. Right, Kids right. won't work for seven fifty anymore. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. What doing other stuff in uh in Hawaii yeah, if, now, I'm sure. If you guys are out in Maui where I had that job and you're going to pineapple fields, it's all fake. It's just soft tourist stuff. They don't they don't really harvest it anymore out there. That's funny. <laughs> All right. So the second question, I'm looking for a, a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift. Um, I don't read too many books. I always tell people, well, we'll spend the time, you know, just go analyzing deals. But if you like one of them was like Deep Work, Cal mm-hmm. Newport. Yeah. I didn't think it was that great of a book because it just repeated the same thing like five, six times. It could have right. been like a two page article. <laughs> but like, you know, that my takeaway was that people, everybody's out there kind of on their phones or spending time. And I catch myself all the time doing this on like social media. You know, it's easy and there's like that kind of that reward loop where you're like, oh, I did something and I feel good about it. But the people in this world that create value are people who are like, they spend a lot of time in deep work mode for long mm-hmm. periods of time. And those work products are the things that really create sustainable wealth. And it's what really, separ- what I see from a high level that separates people from doing great things, right? Like you've, you've over time created this podcast and it's kind of grown and, you know, it's, it's for you, it might be fun, right? But for other people, it's like, well, that there's a lot of work involved with that stuff, right? When I could just pick up my phone and do something here real quick. Um, but, you know, like podcasts or other things that are more deep work centric, yeah. you know, it's just night and day, I think from the results that people get. I mean, and and that's just from the pure fact of competition. If everybody's doing one thing, the easy stuff, the light work, I mean, it's not going to work because there's just too much competition. You got to find the stuff that people aren't willing to do. And that's typically the deep or the hard stuff. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I mean, listen, it's, that's a great perspective. I've, I've read that book and and I agree to the, the premise that it really does take a while, but, um, you know, to really get into something, but yeah, that's, it's a great book. 
it's a, certainly a paradigm shift, especially if you're busy, you know, just a busy person, right? I think that's the problem. Most people are busy, yeah. but they're not necessarily productive. And uh, yeah. I think that's what the premise of the book talks most about. So we'll add that to the reading list over here. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, third question is going to be, what's a skill or talent that you would like to learn? It could be anything. Uh, I'd like to like dribble bat the basketball better. Um, there you go. That'd be kind of cool. I mean, as I'm getting older, um, not as fast anymore. So I can just spin away from somebody. So it'd be nice that I get a little bit better handles. Um, probably should have done it a long time ago. But, you know, you <laughs> that'd be something cool that I'd like to learn, I guess. There you go. I, mean, I know how to ride a bike already. You know, <laughs> that type of stuff. Yeah. All right. Yeah, ball handling. There you go. I think Pete Maravich, right? The greatest ball handlers of all time. Um, you just got to practice. The guy never left a basketball. Like he took it wherever he went. Like, yeah, I got it right here. I just don't practice. You know? <laughs> I got the, this one like dribble up. I saw it on my Facebook feed one time and like you connect it with the app and you can kind of, it's like a video game. Oh yeah. I don't use it. I bought it though, but. <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll check back in in uh, a few months and see how your progress is. Yeah. Doing. <laughs> yeah. We'll check back in. Keep me accountable. That's the other part of it. Right. <laughs> All right. So fourth and final question, what does success mean to you? Success is to me, financial independence. I mean, that's just the way I'm wired up. Do what you want, where you want, with whom you want. Uh, success also, you know, once you've kind of hit a certain level, I mean, I, it's different for everybody. For, but for me, it's just kind of keep getting better and keep racking up the score. Right. Um, whether that's right or wrong, that's just the way I define it as today. But I'm sure that'll change here in the future. It's all about the journey, you know, if today, if the meaning for success to you today is the same, it was, you know, 10 years ago, it means you haven't really grown, right? <laughs> yeah, we always yeah. got to be striving for something more. So that's, uh, it's important. Yeah. I mean, some people just like, I, I think I'm kind of wired up just like growth. I mean, whether it's improve my ball handling skills or just getting another deal. I mean, it's, it's always kind of just increasing that proverbial score or just kind of working on something sharpening sharpening the tool set in a way yeah um, some people it's different right some people it's more like they they like to interact with people more or something like that i mean i think that's part of it too is figuring out which what makes you happy for me it's just like well, constant improvement type of stuff right well listen you're giving back you're giving a lot of value back to uh to your investors and to your community and i think that's really that's one of the biggest drivers of that right yeah, or I just like to hear myself talk, I guess. I don't know, you know, I mean, it's kind of fun. I mean, I don't know, people people like it. People, you know, it seems to help people, you know, it seems to make a big difference in their life. So, you know, as long as you're not hurting anybody, right? You know, it feels good. I'll keep doing it. Right. Well, you're, you know, you're helping a lot of people along the way. So that's, uh, that's the important thing. But um, for our listeners that want to reach out to you or, or find more about Lane, how can they do so? Um, they can check out my website, com or podcast, Flow. That's the best way. Yeah, you got a lot of free free resources there on the on the website. If anyone wants to check that out, right? And uh, ways to join your community, check out your deal flow and things that are are going along in uh, in your life. So appreciate appreciate the time. Appreciate you uh, taking taking some time out today while the internet is down and uh, spending it with me. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll be seeing you more of you. The, the Kase sunset is not not upon us quite yet. Yeah, yeah, maybe I'll get it. Maybe I'll get in one of those background pictures one of these days with you. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been kind of stuck at home, but lately, but um, yeah, one of these days. 
we'll revamp the, the, the wedding slideshow in the back here. <laughs> Uh, awesome. Now I see it's a little bit distracting, but uh, for those of you who are just listening to this, Lane has got a a loop of a, a video of a lot of uh, screenshots, a lot of activities and conferences and meetups and uh, things like that going on with a lot of a lot of great people and many whom I recognize as well. So that's pretty cool. Well, it's been a pleasure. And uh, to our listeners, tune in next time and remember, the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I wanna ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating or review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn. Send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.